You know, there is, there is something about this combination of prayer and worship, you know, that we don't necessarily know what God's going to do, but some of you today, you're already praying revival. You're already praying for God to light a revival fire, and you don't know how God's going to answer that prayer, um, but God hears that. Uh, we believe in El, God El Roy, the God who sees, the God who knows, and we're going to see this a little bit uh, even in the passage of Scripture that we're going through today. Uh, so let me give a little bit of a more proper introduction. So my name is Aaron Henning. Uh, you could uh, affectionately refer to me as Dan's boss. That's how, how he calls me. I'm, he's a hey, hey boss. So Dan and I did a little pulpit swap today. He's preaching over at the home church. Uh, I had the privilege of coming here. So my wife, Amy, who's with me today, she's right over here. Say hello, Amy. Everybody say hi to Amy. She's really nice. Uh, there you go. Um, Amy and I had the privilege of leading... Uh, at ACF here for 11 years. It was about 100 years ago, so most of you were not born yet at the time. Um, but what a joy for us. We actually met at ACF, so when we were students at Penn State, even 100 years before that. Uh, so God brought us together uh, here and uh, then allowed us just to learn so much in uh, a season of ministry here that we had the privilege of being on campus. And the thing that was so amazing about that, and this is why I get so excited when I get the opportunity to come to speak into your lives, don't underestimate the work that God wants to do through you. It doesn't matter if you're 50 people or 500 people, 1,000, it doesn't matter. In this season, this is going to be one of the most moldable, one of the most uh, hyper-growing season of your life. Do not underestimate what God wants to do in this season. And one of the things that we saw, I was just talking to some leaders before the service started, I love how God brings people together to this place from all over the place. I love your talent, I love your energy, I love your gifts that you're putting together, the things to put together a mobile church, not easy to do, uh, and then even to be moved from a different room and everything, get set up here, and what do you do? You come in, you bring the presence of the Lord with you. You know, you come in, uh, you're praying for revival in this region, you're worshiping and exalting Jesus. He says when he would be lifted up, he would draw people to himself. Uh, that is a part of your legacy right now. And so I don't want you to miss out on the importance uh, of what God has for you in this season. We love you. We pray for you, uh, not just here when we're with you today, but we pray for you on a regular basis. Uh, I have two, uh, uh, we have brought a little crew with us here. Brooke came with us from the church. My sons are here, Grant and Max as well. Uh, they're in high school and middle school, respectively, and they're awesome kids, so get to know them if you want to get a chance to do that. Um, I also wanted to mention this. First of all, Thomas Building, this was always a tough sell when we did church here. How many of you instantly have test anxiety when you come into this place? Like, there's a lot of bad memories that come from, uh, from Thomas Building. But you came here, you bring the presence of the Lord with you, that's good. Um, I also would just like to highlight, uh, you guys have retreat coming up next week, is that right? Go to the retreat. If you absolutely, if you can go to the retreat, go to the retreat. One of the best ways to get connected, one of the best ways to really see uh, God stirring and moving and uh, your heart's going to be changed, uh, go to the retreat if you are at all possible or able to do that. And then I was also excited to see this, uh, the Peru uh, trip that Josh was talking about. Uh, if God puts out on your heart to go, Go. That was something that came from years and years ago that the Lord had put uh, Peru on our hearts. And, and listen, this, this is the thing that's amazing. The, the orphanage and ministry center that is there, some of you are going to go and you're going to see that, um, that was built and designed by students like you. 
You know, they said, let's, let's use the talents that God has given us to actually work together to do something that would have a lasting kingdom impact. And so you're going to see the results of some people who were just a couple, uh, couple steps ahead of you uh, in that journey, and you're following along in a really cool thing. So anyway, that's just a little bit of introduction that I wanted to give. Uh, here's what I want to do in terms of preaching today. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. Uh, I want to look with you at the beginning of the life of Moses. I'm talking about just sort of the origin story of one of the great leaders of uh, Old Testament history. And uh, I think that you will find some pieces of this message that you will say, this is important for me today. You will find other parts of this message that you will say, this is important for me tomorrow or later on in my life, and I'm going to remember this as I go forward. And uh, we're going to focus in a little bit on this idea of the God who sees us. Um, we are going through in our, at our home church, we're going through all of the Pentateuch, actually. So a lot of this is going to focus on the life of Moses. And so we've been talking through Exodus, and Dan is actually preaching in the book of Exodus in a different portion uh, there uh, today at the home church. So we're going to focus on the life of Moses, one of the most influential figures of the Old Testament. Additionally, you're going to see as you read through, um, if you continue to read through the book of Exodus, what you end up seeing is, all these foreshadowings of the gospel that bridge us from old covenant history into our new covenant reality. In fact, one of the things, this is, this is sort of meaningful because it actually says in this passage of scripture that God saw the plight of his people and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And that was a covenant, Genesis 12, really important and pivotal part in biblical history where God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you, I'm going to curse those who curse you, and through you, all of the world is going to be blessed. What's he talking about? He's talking about the blessing of his people being established in the world through whom is going to come the Messiah, through whom is going to, be, is going to come the salvation for all who would believe. So this is a very pivotal piece. God remembers the covenant that he had with Abraham. And so in that light, it makes me think, if God can remember the covenant he had with Abraham and deliver his people, how much more does he remember the new covenant that we are a part of even today? So even those that would feel a little bit lost, a little bit unsure, a little bit of, maybe you're not even sure where you stand with Jesus today, know that this is a God who remembers the covenant that he has established. And that has implications for your life as you go forward. So I want you to read with me in Genesis, or Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read a little bit about the birth of Moses and some of his early uh, years, and we'll talk about that today. So it says this, verses 1 and following. Keep your finger there because we're going to read actually several verses here today. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This is verse 5 now. Uh, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. This is verse 8. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. 
So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So we'll stop right there. Let's add God, ask God to bless his word. And, and let, let me just pray again real quick for us. Jesus, would you help us? And Holy Spirit, would you quicken our hearts to respond to you, that we would hear your truth in your word and hide me behind the cross, Lord, that people would see Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, you guys know the story of Moses, right? How many of you have heard the story of Moses? You've read it. You've seen Prince of Egypt, you know. It's real footage, I think. Um, so, so the backdrop, if you know, in Exodus 1, in the end of Genesis, we, we actually preach through the, the book of Genesis at our church, and so Genesis ends with God's people really being rescued from famine by being brought down to the nation of Egypt. And so they're welcomed in, and this is actually a big hand of God's provision that they are there at all, uh, and they're saved from starvation. But now some time goes by, and Exodus 1 says that a new Pharaoh arises who becomes an oppressor of the growing Israelite people. Uh, there's a couple interesting pieces with this, just by way of background, that I think are really helpful uh, when we try to understand and study God's Word, and this is, this is one of the sort of big ones. Uh, have you noticed that in Exodus 1 and 2, uh, that Pharaoh is actually not named? Uh, there were lots of Pharaohs, you know, Ramses and Tut, and I mean, there's, there was a lot of, I think there were several different Ramses, in fact, but it doesn't really tell us which one this was. We know that a new Pharaoh arose... And this Pharaoh became, interestingly, afraid of the work that God was doing through his people. So the the blessing of God's people is expanding, the, the, the nation is increasing, they're becoming sort of this powerful nation within a nation, and the Egyptian sort of overlords begin to say, we're not really sure what to do with them, and so they begin to oppress them. So there's a couple interesting things with this, because we also just said that the Israelite people are the source of God's blessing. And so when we read it in this way, what do we see? We see an unnamed Pharaoh, who really is sort of an archetype representation of something, overseeing or overshadowing the blessing and now oppressing the blessing of God through his people. And and, and as a sidebar, but an important one, this is the nature of spiritual warfare. That every work that God will desire to do in you and through you and around you Uh, is going to be opposed. So nobody gets a free pass on this. Nobody gets to say, I'm following the Lord. And in fact, it's funny, I talk to Christian people all the time that say, I I didn't know it was going to be this hard. You know, everybody told me I was going to give my heart to Jesus and I was just going to be happy and it was going to be fun. It was going to be delight, fun. And, And there is joy in following Christ. But literally, you step into a spiritual battle. We, had a, we have an older elder at our church. I love the guy. Uh, actually, he just stepped off the elder board, but he's been a longtime friend and a longtime leader. And uh, he, he says this to me all the time. He goes, well, Aaron, you know, Satan doesn't attack dead churches. You know, so every time I'm telling him, something's going on. Well, Aaron, you know, Satan doesn't attack dead people. You know, Aaron, Satan doesn't attack dead people. So, so spiritually dead places, the devil doesn't worry about that. When God is on the move, you're going to expect that there's going to be opposition to the work in your life. So we can sort of get it. Not, not if that makes sense. All right. So some of you are okay, sure. You know, I mean, nobody gets a free pass on the spiritual battles that we face. So that's important to note here. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Tim Mackey and the Bible Project? 
some of you, uh, really like the work that they do, really good stuff. Here's a, here's a quote from Tim Mackey about this particular thing when he's asking the question, so why isn't Pharaoh named? And I think this is really important for us. He says, the author doesn't want us to focus on one single king. We're going to get to this part of the quote in one second. You can leave it up there. That's fine. The author doesn't want us to focus on one single king. Rather, he wants us to see Pharaoh as an archetype of the pattern of human rebellion that began in the garden and culminated in Babylon. This king, or sequence of kings, is the epitome of human evil. He embodies the strange and tragic turn the human heart can take when one person or society places their own values and well-being above another person or society. Just pause on that for a second. We're going to come to this. I was really fascinated by this. As our church was going through the book of Genesis, we came to the Tower of Babel. How many of you know what the Tower of Babel is, right? God confused their language or whatever. That, I never had preached through that area or that portion of Scripture before, and it struck me just like a two-by-four to the face. Like, what was the message of the, of the Tower of Babel? We will make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower so that when people see us, they're going to say, who are these people? And look at the name that they have created for themselves. And God came against that. Like, God was not like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, why don't you guys do that? Let's do that. And, and God confused their language and frustrated their plans. And here's the thing that, that, I, that strikes me. That is the human condition. It is a battle in your heart as to whether or not you will say, and here you are, the best and the brightest. You guys are smart. You're going to be leaders in your field. You're going to be leaders in the world, all that kind of stuff. You've got to make a decision as to whether or not the goal and the trajectory of your life is to say, I'm going to make a name for myself. People are going to know who I am. It's all going to be about me, right? That is the anti-God state of mind that was exhibited all the way back in Genesis in the Tower of Babel. That is the anti-God state of mind that now Egypt is just basically the new Babel. And they're the precursor to the, what will become Babylon. So you start to see this kind of like this push and this pull, this battle of kingdoms that is happening. So here, let's get back to, to Tim Mackey. Here's what he says. Pharaoh is what happens when an entire nation redefines good and evil apart from God's wisdom. You get an Egypt building its wealth and security on the backs of an abused, oppressed, and enslaved Israel. That is the backdrop into which Moses is born. The people, God's people, are made to work as slaves. Their lives become bitter. They begin to cry out to God amidst terrible conditions. And by the end of Exodus 1, when this story now begins, we see that the baby boys born to Israelite women are actually being taken from their families and cast into the Nile River as a sort of a desperate attempt to suppress the blessing work of God. So today we're going to look at this origin story of a leader who, by human standards, should not have made it to his first birthday. Um, now, here's, here's another sort of fascinating thing that we might be able to latch a hold of a little bit. Um, I want to talk about, first point is, we just have two points, make them pretty simple for you today. The first is sort of the overcoming of impossible circumstances. Um, we see this, uh, the mom places the baby in the basket, puts it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Um, here's, I just want, I want you just to not miss this for a second. Um, you don't get to pick 
the circumstances into which you are born. Do you? I would suspect that if I were Moses, having some pretty strange and weird and difficult, painful experiences that he was born into, he didn't get to pick when he was born. You didn't get to pick whether or not you would be born into a season that in your lifetime, right at that sort of pivotal time of high school and college when you're trying to launch into new things, that you'd be living in a time of a, of a pandemic. That probably wasn't fun for you, right? You didn't get to pick that. You didn't get to pick the timeline. And yet, here you are at this time, right? Here you are at this time where a lot of the world feels kind of shaky and messed up, where there's a lot of tensions, where there's a lot of, you know, all this stuff. What is happening in the world at this time, this is when you are in your young adulthood years. You didn't pick it, but that's where you are. So we see this overcoming of impossible circumstances. Let me just talk about this for a few moments. Uh, First of all, the wonder of this story is just remarkable to me. Um, I found myself reading it sort of with fresh eyes. I've heard it a hundred times, probably read it literally a hundred times. Uh, a baby in a rafting trip down one of the most dangerous rivers on the planet. I don't know if he was out in the current or just stayed on the side, whatever. Uh, but this is incredible. The Nile, incidentally, this is probably one of the scariest places you would ever want to leave a baby. Like when you really think about it, and you know, I mean, you, you've watched Discovery Channel. You know kind of this is the kind of stuff that is in the Nile uh, River. We got a picture here of a crocodile for you. That's, that's an actual Nile crocodile. The males grow to 10 to 14 feet long. Uh, these are opportunistic apex predators, and they eat everything and anything, right? So this is the, not a place you want to leave a baby. Uh, how many of you are, like snakes? You like, anybody like snakes here? Yeah, we like snakes. Yeah, I like snakes. Not, not, not a ton of us. I like snakes. I don't like these snakes, right? And on the Nile, you've got uh, uh, Egyptian cobra. You've got banded cobra. You've got the black mamba, which I think is probably one of the scariest animals on the planet. I, I did say I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd on this stuff. I sort of like watching uh, documentaries on snakes and things. And, and if you've seen the progressive becoming your parents commercials, you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I think those are funny. My kids think those are funny, sort of in a whole different way, whatever. Um, this isn't a place you want to leave a kid. You've got mosquitoes, a perfect disease-carrying delivery system. Uh, probably the most, you know the most dangerous animal in the Nile, especially in the time of Moses? Hippo, right? It's the, it's the, yeah, there he is. He's cute. He's the guy we put in the baby's nursery, little stuffed animals, like little hippo. Yeah, these are actually, you know, man-killing machines. There's an interesting little side note. Uh, they're actually not very common right now in the Egyptian Nile, uh, but hippos were plentiful in biblical times, and they were synonymous with chaos. That is how the Egyptian culture viewed them. Because if a angry hippo is running at you, there's just not much to do except get out of the way. You know, they're synonymous with chaos. In fact, the pharaohs were, were shown to sort of dominate their world if they were able to hunt and kill hippos. That was actually one of the things that they, that they had. So anyway, it's not a place to, to leave uh, a child. And with all these little fun facts, I, I probably should just mention two, two recommendations for you. Uh, how many of you have seen the documentary from the History Channel, Swamp People? Okay, you got to get into that. Grant and I, it's our favorite show. There's like 14 seasons. We're on season two. Uh, and uh, another documentary we watched last, uh, last year uh, that was a lot of fun, uh, Something Bit Me. Has anybody seen that? Something Bit Me. Okay, so any message that involves crocodiles and hippos and snakes and stuff, Something Bit Me. So I'll make that recommendation to you. You can note that or not. Moving on. 
Um, Here's what I want to encourage you to do as you read Scripture, especially a familiar passage like this. I want to encourage you to read it slowly. I want you to think for a moment about staying in the moment in a story like this. Can you imagine, many of you, you're you're not parents yet. Some of you are going to be parents, though, someday. There is a deep, instinctive reaction among any decent parent to want to protect their child. Can you imagine, if you can even just kind of get your mind around that statement, can you imagine the pain of Moses' mother harboring this child in in fear that, that one day of crying too loud could have him discovered and ripped from her? Could you imagine the sense of loss of, of actually letting that child go and putting him in a basket and, and hoping for the best? I mean, that's, that's just next level stuff. I don't know how you, you uh, navigate that. But if you stay in the moment, you can appreciate the pain of what she actually had to go through and what their, their family had to go through. Here's a little other note, though, was we're talking about overcoming impossible circumstances. Note this, that God's plan... It's very hopeful. This is encouraging. God's plan is not thwarted by family disruption. There are some of you in this room that would probably say, if anybody had a family that could disrupt the sovereign plans of God, it's probably mine because my family's been a mess. Okay? What we see in many biblical accounts is that the brokenness of family does not have to determine and certainly does not have to thwart the plans of God. Uh, Physical danger did not thwart the plans of God. Loss of culture did not thwart the plans of God. Uh, Moses grew up with a very odd upbringing, right? I mean, he's born to to Hebrew parents, raised by, uh, by an Egyptian family. He's kind of in this third place of probably wondering where he belongs and where he doesn't belong. And, and some of you have experienced that, right? Some of you, your culture of origin, your country of origin is not here. And yet here you are trying to figure out what it's like to be you in a place that isn't where you grew up. And so uh, Moses had to experience that. But the loss of culture did not change God's plans either. Uh, and the other little just quick note here, and then I'm going to move us on from this, is that there is actually this lesson in parenting. So here's a note for you for down the road. Someday you're going to have kids. Your job as parents, when, when and if that happens, if that's part of your calling, is actually to prepare the children to go out into the world, dangers and all. Uh, and some of you know the, the difficulty of having parents that just don't want to let you go. You know what I mean? They're still, they're still calling you every, every, every day. Did you do this yet? Did you check up on this yet? Da, 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 da. And so you're going to say, Mom, Dad, uh, the pastor told me that uh, you got to let me go. You got to let me get out in the world. You know, crocodiles and all, you're going to do this. Now, this is an extreme case, but it's actually the reality. Here's a mom. She does everything that she can, and I'm assuming the dad too. They're going to they're do everything we can in an impossible situation to give our kid the best chance, and then we're going to have to put them out in the world. And that's actually a good lesson in parenting. You can file that, some of you, for later. Okay. So a God who sees Elroy in a world of pain. Now, I, I think this is noteworthy as well. It's a sort of strange move of God and the awareness of a big sister. It's a, the big sister is actually maybe my favorite hero in this story. 
I love this courage of this precocious big sister. She's watching from a distance. She's kind of keeping an eye on the little baby in the basket. She has the uh, courage to approach the royal family and to say, hey, I see you found a baby there. That's nice. You want me to go get someone to, to take care of that baby? Uh, and then she off- it's, it's the sister who offers the plan that will literally save her brother's life and reunite him with their mom, who just, for all we know, moments before or hours before, has said, this is probably the last I'm going to see this little child. And now God in his sovereignty has ushered in a plan. So we see this in verse 8 and 9, that the girl went get the baby's, got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said, take the baby, nurse him, and I will pay you. Can you imagine this now? You're getting the baby back, and, and you've got a part-time job. Uh, we'll pay you to take care of this little child and everything. Uh, and then one, one of our staff members even said, can you imagine the prayer life of that mom over this reunited child. I bet, she, I bet she just prayed with all kinds of gratitude over thinking this is going to be a loss and now the Lord has returned, uh, returned him. So anyway, there's a whole thing about sort of growing up and, and overcoming and navigating and it just strikes me that you know, you're all right now, you're, you're working through your own origin story and you're looking for the hand of God, Elroy, the God who sees me in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the miracles and in the midst of the separation and everything else. Um, the second thing I want to talk about today is just overcoming personal disruption. So then we get this big fast forward. Read with me in verse 11. Uh, we got a big fast forward. Now Moses has been uh, raised in this Egyptian household, and then it says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And the next day he went out and he saw the two Hebrews, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Uh, verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? And that's actually a fascinating question because that's exactly who he's going to be. That's the destiny of God over his life. But it's said sarcastically here. Are you thinking of killing me though as you, as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So I find it fascinating that the call of God on Moses' life is actually foreshadowed with that scoffing question, who made you ruler and judge over us? And yet, here's the thing, and this becomes really, really important for us and for you in this phase of life. Moses is a leader with the destiny of God upon him and the identity of God upon him, but it is not yet fully formed. And that's actually a decent description of where the majority of this group sits, right? The the destiny of God and the identity of God is not yet fully formed in you. And so we see Moses acting out of this place of identity, that he's trying to set things right, he's trying to liberate, he's trying to do all these things, and yet he can't yet lead himself or others because we don't see the blessing of God yet. He's not yet learned to hear the voice of God. And the result of this action is that his origin story appears to end with our hero labeled as a criminal or murderer or refugee or sojourner, 
that if you were to just take a snapshot right here, you would see what looks like a loss of a sense of identity and destiny. Now we've got a Hebrew boy raised by an Egyptian home who's now running for his life, and now he's in the wilderness, and he's hanging out with the sheep. This guy has to not know really who he is at this point. That sense of identity is an important one, and many of you are working through that right now. Who am I? You know, who am I becoming? What's the call and the destiny of my life? Why am I the way that I am, right? I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that you're wrestling with in young adulthood. Um, I sense, I, I notice here that, that every leader has a past, that every leader has what we call a shadow side. It means you're gifted and wired in a certain way, and that comes with certain blessings, and that comes with certain challenges, okay? Uh, that's, that's where you are. That's who you are. Um, every leader has the potential to get ahead of God. And um, you could make the argument that maybe Moses the liberator is just a few decades too early at this point. He's taking some action, but it's not leading to the ultimate work that God wants to do. And Moses is now in hiding, and he's going to spend the next decades of his life in relative obscurity. That's fascinating. Decades of his life. You guys haven't waited decades for anything yet, right? I mean, most of you are 20 years old. You know, think about being your age and having to fast forward 60 years to get to Exodus chapter 3. Now, some people say maybe he was closer to 40 when this happened. Okay, big, now only 40 years. No problem, right? You know, so here we have just this fascinating disruption. Moses was 80 at the time of his calling. And I started thinking a little bit about the, the wilderness years that some of you are probably even feeling right now. The wilderness years of college, going through a season with COVID, going through the unforeseen thing, going through your own struggles and everything. And, and here's really the best news for Moses and really the best news for us as well. I'm going to wrap up with this. If you look verse 23 to 25, it says this. During that long period... Moses is now out in the wilderness, and he's watching sheep and doing stuff like that. Uh, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And then listen to this, verse 24. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here's the bottom line. God heard. God remembered, God saw, God knew. And we're going to actually end this service with just a little reflection that what God was setting in motion at this point in the story and the fulfillment of God's freedom that we're now celebrating in, in having today in Christ, we sang about it in our, in our worship song. What we see here is the Israelite people, they're crying out to a God that they don't yet really know. And here's why I say this. This is just, this struck me. As the Israelite people are crying out to God and Moses is, is getting prepared, he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be prepared to be a leader who will liberate them. The picture of God from this point in Scripture forward begins to become much more clear. What is his name? They don't know yet. Because that comes with Moses in the calling. He's a, who, who should I say that you are? I'll tell them I am who I am, which is a bizarre and crazy answer to the question. I will not be defined by anything except for who I am. And then they come to know him as Yahweh. They didn't even know his name. 
when they're crying out in this point. The, the Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. All of these things that will be set in motion, his plan and his power and his relationship, all are going to become better defined. All, and, and listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Become better and better defined. As you read Scripture, you see more, you learn more, you start to see, you understand who God is and what he's revealing about himself all the way to the point of Christ, and this was the revelation of Christ in John 1, 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is way over here. This is where we are in the new covenant, the time of God's people way back here. They don't even yet know his name. But God's going to be revealing things all throughout Scripture. It's amazing. Um, here's, here's what I'd like to do, just to wrap up. Worship team, you guys can come up as, uh, um, as we get ready to, I think we got one more song, right? Um, here, here's what I would encourage you in. When I read scriptures like this, um, Old Testament, New Testament, you look at Bible characters, you start to see little bits and pieces of yourself, right? You start to see that you know, God's got a plan for your life. God's got, God's got unfinished work and most people throughout Scripture spent most of their life in that season of trying to figure out the unfinished work of God. So if you're there today, it's actually not a bad place to be. You're in pretty decent company, you know? How do we, how do we navigate that? Well, on this side of the cross and on this side of the revelation of Christ and what he's done, it's actually incredibly good news. You're not in the same situation as Moses, you actually can look back on what God has already done that in his day had not yet been done. You see the deliverance. You see the freedom. You see the institution of the Passover. We're going to get ready to celebrate Good Friday here pretty soon. You guys have a service. What's, what are we remembering at Good Friday? The ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb that came from the time of Moses to the time of Christ. We see the finished work of Jesus. Um, I want to just encourage you, uh, you don't know me well, uh, I don't know you guys well, but I always want to leave an encouragement to say this. Number one, if you've never yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a great time to do it. Today's the day, you know. This is a great season to get serious about taking your faith seriously. And so I'm going to lean into this. Many of you maybe grew up in a situation, you lived out your parents' faith, you're here at Penn State University, you're trying to figure things out. You need an anchor. You need a center. You need a direction. And do not underestimate what Jesus wants to instill in your life in your 20s that's going to bear fruit in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and well beyond. Just don't underestimate that. So if the Lord's knocking on your heart today, say, today's the day I need to make this faith my own and pursue Christ. I would suspect there's probably a lot of people here who have made that decision, and I just want to encourage you. You're my little brothers and sisters. I love you guys. I really do. I, I miss the days that we were... Uh, able to just speak into young adult life's lives and to see God stirring. I've seen God do incredible things, incredible things through people just like you, right? And so it, it, it just, I have this passion that wells up. It's like, it's like God puts something sometimes in your heart, right? And, and you'll find this. I pray that you will. You're going to find a calling in your life where you just go, I know that God has made me for a, for a purpose. And, and, and you can't fully extract that. You don't want to extract it, you know, because it's actually a beautiful thing. And so when I come back to Penn State and we bring our family over, it's just ah, something wells up inside me because I go, man, I love what, what God is doing and I love what God can do. Uh, and I love what God's going to do. 
And I know that some of you are like, I don't even know where God is in this equation yet. And, uh, and I love that you're in that process. And I believe that God's going to do great stuff. So I just want to say a prayer for you. I just want to bless you today. I want to thank you for letting us come and to, to just encourage you a little bit. In fact, why don't we stand up?